Welcome to the Public Sector Marketing Show, a podcast for government and public sector marketing professionals who want to level up their digital marketing and social media knowledge, skills, and strategic thinking. And now, welcome your host, Joanne Sweeney. Hello and welcome to the Public Sector Marketing Show. In this episode, I'm going to discuss how to deliver transparent digital communications within government and public sector. So we're going to touch on your website, social media, email marketing and pay-per-click advertising. Do you remember the days when a press release was the only tactic that you needed to use to engage the media and ultimately the public? Well, my friends, those days are long gone. I also interviewed Tom Cochran, who used to be the chief digital advisor to President Barack Obama, and he takes us inside the White House and he shares with us Barack Obama's vision for an open and transparent government. So for that and more, stay tuned. In this column, I want to talk about how you might structure a digital communications plan that has transparency at the centre of it. The first thing I want you to ask yourself is what percentage of our communications is offline? What percentage of our communications is online? Remember, in an earlier episode of the show, I stated that as an Ireland example, 80% of the population get their news from some sort of online source. So you've got to audit where your communications is coming from and the flow of it right across the internet and indeed in traditional sources. The next thing that you want to ask yourself is how do we divide up search and social? Search and social make up the internet. We've got Google and YouTube as the Goliath of search and we've got Facebook as the Goliath of social. Of course, Facebook owns Instagram, WhatsApp, Messenger and probably soon to be other companies if it continues the way it's been going for the past decade. So thinking about search and social as driving your digital communication strategy, you have to make sure that you have maximum share of social voice pertaining to the topics, the issues and the people that work within your organisation. Take any issue that is critical for your agency right now. I want you to go to Google and I want you to go to Google. Google owns YouTube, right? Google being the largest search engine in the Western world and YouTube being the second largest. Take a topic, put it into those search engines and see what information is surfacing. If your organization, your website, your YouTube channel is not coming up in the first page of the search engine results pages, then you need to revisit your strategy. There's a joke in our industry, where do you hide a dead body? Second page of Google. Nobody goes that far. They redefine their search term until they get the answer that they want. And those first, second and third results may not necessarily be you, but they will be trusted by the citizen that finds them on the first page of Google and then goes on to consume that content. YouTube similarly carries great weight in the search market. By and large, those under the age of 16 are using YouTube as their predominant search engine. By 10 a.m. in the morning, there are 1 billion searches on Google. And that number is almost equivalent 
to YouTube searches. So you've got to put video, you've got to put keyword research and search engine optimization to the center of your strategy. Mobile first, of course, is absolutely vital when it comes to search marketing and really understanding how people are accessing your website on desktop, on mobile, on tablet, you'll probably find that the majority of people, maybe even in excess of 80%, are accessing your website via mobile. And if your website was built with desktop in mind, you're then completely isolating an entire population of citizen. Let's move over to social then. I mentioned that Facebook is the Goliath of the social networks, but we can't forget about TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn, Snapchat. These platforms provide audiences with an escape, you might argue, but they also provide them with a free flow of information and news from government and public sector about public services that affect them. The public now expect you to operate like Amazon and Netflix. They have everything at the palm of their hands, touch of a button on their smartphone that they carry with them right throughout the day. And for some people, a lot of the night as well. So your strategy relating to digital communications, if you want to promote a culture of openness and transparency, means that you need to be appearing on page one of Google at the top of YouTube searches for topics that relate specifically to your organization. When it comes to social, you want to have maximum share of social voice. So what percentage of social content on any of the social networks comes back to you as a trusted source? You need to understand the data and you need to put a team in place who can map a plan, but ultimately can execute it. Level up your social media skills by taking our diploma in social media, plus gain an industry qualification. Use the code SOCIALMEDIA20 for a 20% discount. Visit publicsectormarketingpros.com. In this consulting segment, I'm going to make the argument that when it comes to transparency and content, more is more. So what do I mean by that? Well, what I mean is the more information that you give the public, the more likely they are to trust you. Very often I see within organizations that when they want me to help them structure digital communications within a department or across multiple complex teams, there's the same common denominator. And that is that the content, the information and the subject matter expertise is hidden. It's not necessarily deliberately hidden, but it's hidden on people's computers, in journals, on reports that they've written, but it never gets the light of day in terms of public consumption. It might have been published in a, in a journal, as I mentioned, but who's going to read that? Is that content and that messaging and the rationale for decisions being taken on policy being made accessible to the public in the form of interviews, doing live questions and answer sessions. Let's take a look at influencers on Instagram, for example. They've been going live on the platform in their thousands during COVID-19. But what's been very interesting is that personal approach to communications. 
It's actually having a conversation and telling stories. You think about the public sector and government, it's more formal. And what you're doing by creating that sense is that you're putting a wall between the public and between you. Social media allows you to take down that wall and to actually create what I call just like me content. So the content that is sitting in the annals of history within every government department and agency in the world, whether historic or whether current, needs to be taken off shelves, off drives, repurposed and put into the public domain via social media and indeed via blogs on websites and then perhaps in email marketing and paid for advertising. What that will do is that will create, as I said, just like me content, stories that have a beginning, a middle and an end. Let's take, for example, somebody who's perhaps vaccine hesitant. They're not really sure whether they want to take the COVID-19 vaccine, no matter which supplier or pharma company it's coming from. But they have a whole host of questions. They're going to go to Dr. Google, for example. Maybe they might ask their friend. Maybe they might ask their GP. By and large, they're going to be influenced by the people that they see on social, by what they read on search. If you're not filling the internet with truth, with subject matter expertise from researchers, scientists, medics, physicians, then really we're leaving it wide open to the anti-vax movement to take control and to have maximum share of social voice. So go back and audit the content that you have within your organization. Who owns it? Who's responsible for it? Is it making its way to the communications or the social media team? Are you doing live Q and A's on Instagram or will you? Will you commit to having conversations with the public this year so that you can promote transparent and open government? this episode, I'm delighted to interview Tom Cochran. Tom Cochran wrote the foreword for my book, Public Sector Marketing Pro, and he took us inside the White House during his time there. Tom has an expansive career in digital communications within government and public sector. So I felt he was best place to have this conversation with how do we build a digital communication strategy that promotes openness and transparency in 2021. I'm delighted to be joined in this episode by Tom Cochran, who is partner at 720 Strategies in the United States, a communications consultancy. Tom, as you may know, is also former chief digital advisor to Barack Obama during his presidency. Tom, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure. So, People who follow me will know you and your name from, from this book because you wrote the foreword to Public Sector Marketing Pro and you bring us right inside the White House where Barack Obama has taken up office as the 44th President of the United States. For those that haven't read my book, will you take us back to then? Sure. Well, well, I did the easy part. I wrote just the forward. You, you wrote the whole book, so uh, kudos to you. So back then, it was, uh, it seems like quite maybe two lifetimes ago at this point, 
where when entering the White House, we were faced with uh, an unbelievable uh, lack of technology uh, equipment as well as uh, skills. Uh, computers still had disk drives. Uh, they're all desktops, of course. There's no Wi-Fi. There's no Bluetooth. And this isn't uh, 25, 30 years ago. This is about 10 years ago. Uh, remarkably uh, a breadth of, of technology. So in the, in the eight years that, that followed that, we went uh, through quite a transformation to push the United States government into the digital era, right? Uh, in the digital era from 2009 to 2016, uh, 2017, January 2017, we did incredible transformations throughout the government to make sure that the government uh, focused on open government. Uh, transparency, participation, and collaboration uh, with a focus on using digital technologies. So that was very much the intentions of President Barack Obama, and he was very direct in his appeal to his team and to the broader staff within government that he wanted to deliver public services, not how the team wanted to deliver them, but how the public expected public services to be delivered. Do you think he achieved that? I think, I think yes. And I think that's the goal of every public servant and anybody that works in government, which is to remember that they work in a customer centric uh, environment, uh, maybe more so than any other environment ever, uh, because in their title is the word public. They serve the public. Uh, and their goal is to provide public services. So when you change the framework and think about delivering services uh, from the from the mindset of the person receiving the services, it really changes how you approach your job. And so let's talk about your interactions in the White House. Um, it's it's quite a position to hold. Did did you learn a lot uh, while in that position, and then subsequently at the State Department? I did. I learned that government is a very slow-moving creature, uh, and that's by design, right? You have to be very methodical uh, and practical in your approach to, to government services because people rely on them. Uh, government is, is there to provide public services, and you, you can't mess up. You can't make mistakes. Uh, but at the same token, you have to figure out ways to do things better. Uh, people are living in a world in which they receive their packages from Amazon, they watch movies on Netflix and YouTube, uh, things are handed to them in a very personalized manner. The way you watch YouTube or the way you order packages on Amazon is not the way I do. Uh, people expect life to be like that and government uh, very often and sort of comically is so far behind the curve uh, that it really needs to figure out a way to adopt the practices of digital world, uh, the digital world technology in order to uh, live up to the expectations of their customer. So you're now working at the other side in consulting um, and probably still engaging with government and public sector. We're now in 2021. Where are we at in terms of citizen engagement and digital communication? Do you think that the US government, but also given your, your expertise in this arena, do you think governments more broadly across the world have finally embraced the fact that digital is mainstream? I sure hope so. Uh, and I think that's actually the case, right? Uh, but no matter how far we progress, the government is always going to be one step behind just by the sheer fact that the scale of it is so big, right? 
And again, I said earlier that by design, it is not meant to be a fast-moving entity. Uh, a bureaucracy by design is meant to be slower. Uh, and that's so you don't make rash decisions, and that's so you don't have someone at the top coming in and breaking everything uh, rather easily. Uh, it's hard to move things uh, for good, and it's hard to move things for bad. Uh, so that's, that's a good thing. Uh, I think that uh, the private sector continues to lead the way when it comes to adopting new technologies, new methodologies, primarily because of one thing, sort of the risk incentive model, which is in the private sector, there is an incentive, a financial uh, quantitative incent uh, incentive to making a risky decision, like Apple saying well over a decade ago, we're going to make phones. Uh, we're going to make phones or we're going to dominate the phone industry. Uh, it was a computer company at the time. Now there are well uh, billions of, of people use the iPhone. There are more iPhones sold uh, in the world than babies born. In the government, there's no financial incentive uh, to making a decision like that. There is a lot of risk because if you fail, you're on the front page of the, of the newspaper or you're on uh, the front page of some uh, you know, New York Times or whatever. Uh, things, can go, things can go sideways really quickly if you make a wrong decision in government. Do you think that the new cohort of staff within government and public sector being digital natives are in any way going to speed up the process of digital agility and responding to, to new technologies and platforms? You know, I hadn't even thought about that, but come to think of it, millennials are not young anymore. They're, they're, they're 40, uh, the oldest millennials. And they dominate the workforce. They're about half the workforce. So now they're the middle managers. The younger workforce are, are truly digital natives, meaning they were born essentially uh, knowing how to operate one of these. They don't remember a time without the Internet. And they don't, they don't know landlines. They don't know terrestrial linear TV. Everything is on demand. So maybe the answer to that is yes, uh, because... It is not uh, a hope or dream that, that technology is used to, to make work better. It is an expectation because that's how they, they have lived. They were born in the 90s. They, they, don't, they don't remember 9-11. Uh, that's how different their framework is and their, their frame of reference to, to the world. So let's talk about politics for a moment. We're, we're just out of the the U.S. presidency and a new president in the White House, that being Joe Biden, with very strong Irish connections. So we're, we're delighted with that. Um, we, we love that. Uh, we're, we're looking forward to St. Patrick's Day. Remains to be seen whether our Taoiseach, our prime minister, will be able to go and present the bowl of shamrock this year. What's your impression about the social media activity of President Trump versus the social media activity of President Biden and his vice president, Kamala Harris, already we see uh, a marked difference, right? I think restraint and more presidential behavior. Look, uh, social media received a lot of bad flack, uh, rightly so, for what's transpired over the last four years. I think there's been a reckoning of uh, we have let this genie out of the bottle or Pandora's box or whatever metaphor you'd like to use, and we can't get it back in. Let's sort of dial it back and figure out how to use these tools appropriately, because in the wrong hands or 
maybe in the right hands saying the wrong thing, bad things can happen. So with great power comes great responsibility. And when you're in 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue and you have access to push a button and communicate directly to tens, hundreds of millions of people, that's great power. And so that's not a problem. That's less a problem of technology and that's more a problem of, of the human mind and uh, the human spirit, the, the ability to understand the consequences of what one says. And so I think we now have uh, individuals who are leading our government who understand the consequences and the gravity of what one says using the, such a powerful tool. So combining your experience within the U.S. administration and the White House and the State Department and your consultancy experience, how should government and public sector across the world be delivering open and transparent communications in 2021? I, I think the previous administration went way into the deep end in using uh, uh, social media and technology to communicate in ways that were probably motivated by the wrong things. Uh, that said, we should, as governments and, uh, and citizens, uh, expect governments to communicate uh, effectively, efficiently, transparently, quickly, uh, honestly, uh, through the best technologies that we have available. Uh, we, a great example would be, where do I get my COVID vaccine? Uh, now the news is, it's great, we have a COVID vaccine, but nobody knows how to get it, where to get it, who's in, in line. Uh, figuring out the best ways possible to communicate to the public uh, information of critical importance, such as COVID vaccine, uh, or uh, more natural things like weather uh, reports. Uh, if there's going to be a snowstorm, if there's going to be a calamitous uh, typhoon or tornado or something along those lines. That, that is the responsibility of government to properly and timely inform their citizens. So let's think about, apart from prime ministers, presidents, Tishi, uh, and other senior, senior leaders in government and public sector, there's been more of an increase in even middle management going front of screen and leveraging their subject matter expertise to be another line of communication to citizens. Is that something you're advising your clients now that you, as the owner of the knowledge uh, and of the truth, has a responsibility to be visible online, not just behind a corporate account, but even going so far as to leverage personal social networks, for example? I would say yes, with a, with a caveat that the individual should should recognize that they're now in the public uh, public eye, uh, and frankly, anyone is in the public eye, given given the internet. Uh, if you're on Twitter and you have a public account, you are a public persona uh, to a small set of people, maybe thousands of people, maybe you're a micro influencer. Uh, but that said, one of the pieces of advice that that give to our clients is an individual would rather speak with an individual, not an institution. And so this actually goes back to our, my State Department days, which is uh, someone seeking a visa or study abroad information uh, in, a, in a foreign country, foreign to the United States, wanting to come to the United States, wants to speak with uh, an individual, or they want to see the picture of a face of a person on that account rather than the U.S. Embassy 
in Dublin. They'd rather see the ambassador. They'd rather see the the uh, public affairs officer, something something like that. It's just a very human, natural thing uh, to want to speak to humans. So humans should be the ones that are representing organizations online, uh, less so than the the organization itself in a building. So I want to share with you um, an experience I had on Twitter recently, and I was relaying the fact that um, during the the recent event that you attended, the launch of my public sector uh, report, um, that the the state of social media in the public sector report, that, that you said that social media communications was mainstream media and I had done a subsequent vlog on it and I'd I tweeted about that um, this really upsets journalists I'm beginning to to learn that you know the fact that social media is mainstream media that it is a direct platform to communicate with citizens um, what's been your own experience in in that I think it's because it's seen as a threat right if 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 you say someone's power or span of control is less valuable or diminished, that's threatening to them because uh, as a member of the media, they derive their value through their ability to interpret the news and write the news and in, in essence shape opinions, uh, which is a very valuable and important skill. But now with tools that allow us to communicate to anyone at any time on any device uh, that reduces their influence and authority. So in essence, it's, it's competition. So they, they don't look, look positively on it. Those, those that embrace it and see it as, as a method to amplify their voice uh, and augment their voice, see the future, see the present actually, and that this is the tool that they will be using going forward to help them as journalists get their voice out there. Just a question in relation to the profession of public affairs, public relations and traditional communications. Do you think that there's still a cohort that are still stuck in the pre-digital age that are maybe nervous themselves um, of embracing digital because they believe that they're they're not a native and, and maybe they're they bring their personal bias to work? Yes, short answer is yes. Everywhere I go, I still see individuals that are interested in the old methods because that's it's work for them. Uh, it's similar to 15 years ago, the newspaper industry saying we, we make so much money on classified advertisements, we make so much money on print. Let's continue this as long as we can uh, until they're, they're blindsided by the digital transformation, digital massive uh, earthquake that destroyed uh, the traditional media world and put everybody online. Uh, it's a huge disruptive event, but those that understand how to sort of ride through the wave and get to the other side of this uh, will thrive. Same thing in, in all industries, public relations, public affairs. We're not throwing away the old skills and the old knowledge. We are figuring out ways to evolve those with the use of new tools and technology, which is the story of human evolution. Uh, that's, that's, how, that's how we evolve. That's how we progress. I completely agree with you. I mean, I'm a, a journalist by trade. I still feel I, I carry those skills every single day, as well as my 
PR skills that I that I learned 20 years ago in in university but now that I'm I'm leveraging I think that the digital is just the just the platforms and the technology right but a final question for you Tom um what about those organizations that are stuck that are paralyzed by the progress and the disruption of digital where do they start or how do they overcome their fear because fear in my experience is really the number one barrier to breaking through and to being truly a digital first agile uh, communications department within a government or public sector i would ask why right have, have you have to be willing you can't motivate the unwilling and those that are unwilling to change will not change and we have to recognize that we also have to recognize that change is obviously very disruptive and will reduce the authority of some and increase the authority of others and remove the, the digital element of it and just focus on the change and how it impacts people's lives and think about the motivations. And then you start to have a clear picture of, of oh, that, I kind of understand why these, this group of people is fearful. This group is very, uh, very nervous, but this group is very excited because it changes the, their their sort of rank and order of authority in, within an organization. So understanding the human element is extremely important for a leader coming in to be able to impact uh, an organization and affect that change. It is not a very quick and easy transformation. You don't come in and say, let's be digital. You come in and say, well, let's, let's uncover the fears and uh, identify the fears, understand the fears and start to address those fears to, at the very least, try to make people understand why it's important for the organization as a whole to improve the way, the way they operate using digital technology. So I know I said that was the last question, but I do have one very last question. It is sure. over 10 years since you worked in the White House in the Obama administration. Is there any part of you that would like to return to the White House and to get your feet in under the digital desk, under the leadership of Biden and Harris? I think I'd be lying if, if I said I didn't want to do some sort of public service again. And to, to be perfectly frank, I think the State Department was an even more valuable experience uh, for me because of the international element of, uh, number one, being part of a global community and having the United States as one of uh, a couple hundred countries uh, participating in global dialogue is really important, uh, but also it is a a, a large uh, bureaucracy that needs a lot of help. Uh, that is not at the center of of politics. It's not pol White House is politics and heavily politicized. The State Department is an executive branch agency, which is responsible for advancing the foreign policy interests of the United States, and that's something that's very important. Uh, to me, as, as someone who grew up the child of a foreign service officer who grew up overseas as well, uh, the global element is something that's really important to me. Okay, so I guess we may finish the interview with a, a watch this space then. Uh, Tom Cochran, always a pleasure to speak to you. Really appreciate your time and continued success with your career. Thank you very much. A one-stop shop digital marketing and social media resource 
Join our Membership Academy for 12 months. Access a library of how-to videos, template strategies and organisational policies. Monthly live coaching. Attend webinars with subject matter experts. Meet and network with public sector pros from across the world. Use the code MEMBERSHIP20 for a 20% discount. Visit publicsectormarketingpros.com. The resource that I'm giving you in this episode is my digital marketing campaign strategy template. So go to publicsectormarketingpros.com forward slash podcast and you can grab it there. As always, thank you so much for tuning into the Public Sector Marketing Show. I'll talk to you on the next episode. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Public Sector Marketing Show. This episode has ended, but your digital journey can continue. Head over to publicsectormarketingpros.com to access resources and links mentioned in today's show and to connect with Joanne and her team. Until the next time, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform.